this is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong? All right, you've probably heard these words before, stem cells. I'm going to repeat that, stem cells. And most people have heard of those words in conjunction with cutting-edge medical breakthroughs, uh, public policy, and sometimes the debate over whether or not the government should be funding this thing called stem cell research. And, uh, and then there's a lot of debate between adult stem cells versus embryonic stem cells. And perhaps you've heard of some dramatic healing testimony uh, from people who have been healed from stem cells. Well, today I'm interviewing a world-renowned expert um, in adult stem cells, Dr. David Prentice. Uh, he's a native Kansan who earned his PhD in biochemistry from the University of Kansas. And having engaged in stem cell research, and he's lectured on the subject for decades, and then devoted his career to educating policymakers, including those policymakers in Washington, D.C., as well as medical and scientific professionals and the public about adult stem cells. Today, Dr. Prentice is chairman of the advisory committee for the Midwest Stem Cell Therapy Center in Kansas, and he's vice president and research director of the Charlotte Lozier Institute, which is the research arm of the Susan B. Anthony List in Washington, D.C., a national pro-life uh, political action organization. So, Dr. Prentice, welcome to What If We've Been Wrong? Thank you so much, Terry. Great to be with you. Well, I'm hoping today we can clear up a lot of the misunderstanding, uh, Dr. Prentice, between adult stem cells, embryonic stem cells, and why every single American has a vested interest in the direction of, of this you know, science technology. I mean, because it can affect um, if, if not the individual person, well, it's going to affect some of their family members, their, their friends. Everybody's going to be affected by stem cell research in one way or the other in the direction that our country goes. And so I thought, let's just start off with some of the basics because I believe probably most people were like me, Dr. Prentice, where we hear those words stem cell and we don't even really know what it is. So what, what is a stem cell? You're so right, Terry. Actually, there are about half of physicians in the U.S. who really don't know much about stem cells and don't know the difference between the different types. So a, a generic stem cell, let's start very basic, mm -hmm. stem cell is simply a very flexible cell, a, sort of a, a cell in training, if you will, that given the right signals, can change and form lots of different cell types and tissue types and participate in the repair of those tissues. And that's really what the goal is for stem cell research is what's called regenerative medicine. The idea that if I have a heart attack, for example, that the whole organ usually doesn't go down, but some of that tissue is dead and it needs to be repaired or replaced with fresh 
heart cells. And the hope and the potential of stem cell research is to go in and repair that damaged heart or repair a brain after stroke or start forming new insulin secreting cells after diabetes. And the list goes on and on and on. And so where do we find these different types of stem cells? I'm still trying to imagine this, you know, because, you know, like in basic biology class, you know, you get a picture. This is a cell, you know, inside your cell. (laughs) You have the mitochondria. So, you know, and all these other basic parts of that cell. Is, Is the stem cell even before, you know what I'm talking about, like in basic biology 101 class, here's a cell. Is this... Are you talking about stem cells before it even becomes a cell with mitochondria and all that? Well, no, it has all of the basic parts, but the idea is that it's not specialized. Okay. And this is to talking about different types of stem cells. So one type, and you mentioned it already, is embryonic stem mm-hmm. cells. And this is the one, frankly, that's gotten the most press, but also the most hype. Embryonic, as the name implies, are found in little human embryos. And so when you're about, oh, five to eight days old, literally, that many days after conception, you are uh, an embryo very early in your life, but you're still a human being. I mean, I think that's an important point your listeners need to understand. Right. The moment of conception, you are an organism, scientifically, you are a human being. Now, at the point where you're about a week old, you look kind of like a hollow ball with some cells inside. You're very young. That's how we all looked at that stage of our life. And it's the cells inside that are the embryonic stem cells. Now, as a stem cell, the idea is if you think about a plant, you have a stem and then As that plant grows, you have various shoots and leaves and flowers and things that form. Well, the stem cell can become all of those various parts. For a person, we're talking about a stem cell eventually forming heart and liver and brain and kidney and all of the various tissue types and organs and so on. But the problem is as an embryonic stem cell to get those you have to kill that young human being to take her cells out and put them in the dish for experiments so there's a big downside ethically you have to destroy a human being to get embryonic stem cells there's another part of this just practically embryonic stem cells have yet to show any proof that they can actually cure a human disease. There have been a few, a very, very few number of people injected with embryonic stem cells to try and treat their disease, to try and repair damaged or diseased tissue. And again, there's no evidence that they are life-saving, that they can actually carry off this repair that we would like to do in terms of regenerative medicine. Mm-hmm. And th- this is after decades, right, of this type of research, right? That's right. For okay. human embryonic stem cells, the first were successfully grown in the lab in 1998. So we're talking about two decades. And actually, scientists have worked with mouse embryonic stem cells a couple of decades before then. And 
there aren't that many mice, mm -hmm. lab mice, that have been helped by embryonic stem cells. So yet, this is what we heard for, again, two decades, that embryonic stem cells had the potential to cure all known maladies, that they were going to be a revolution in science. And if only we would give billions of taxpayer dollars and allow thousands or millions of young human beings to be sacrificed for this science, that they, we would cure all of these various diseases. And again, none of that has actually happened after decades of laboratory research. Right. Okay, so Dr. Prentice, if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, there's been research, particularly on, on mice em embryos, and, and it's produced uh, no results, right, moving forward. Uh, but we're swinging over now looking at uh, adult stem cells and, and the fruit that you're finding from adult stem cell research. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I do not believe the Lord is going to let any scientists prevail with killing embryos because we're talking about mad science. If they begin producing anything, anything positive coming from embryonic stem cells, we're going to end up with embryo farms like the mad science of embryo, you know, where they're producing, you know, little people just to kill them to go help somebody else. Exactly the case, Terry. And, and that is one of the great dangers of embryonic stem cell research and some related things that we can discuss later is yeah. that you're, you're basically going to farm, you're going to manufacture mm -hmm. human beings whose sole purpose is to be destroyed for research, mm -hmm. for scientific sacrifice. Uh, I had one person who claimed that embryonic stem cells were the fountain of youth. Well, that well is poisoned. It's poisoned both at the source, because you have to destroy a young human being, as well as at the outflow, because you risk uh, actually destroying the patients who might be treated with this. Embryonic stem cells actually grow like cancer cells and they like to grow and grow and grow so in those lab mice we mentioned oh. a lot of tumors and so you know you're making the situation worse instead of repairing so embryonic really has uh, multiple strikes against it but of course the basic one being you have to sacrifice young human lives to get embryonic stem cells Right. And so let me, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I'm okay with that right now. You know, because this is the big issue, because you have lots of scientists out there, and I'm sure the policymakers um, who do not recognize life begins at fertilization. And I like using that word fertilization, you know, because after decades of the birth control pill and all this, you know, a lot of the scientists have separated fertilization from conception. So we're talking about the moment of fertilization, a new life has come into being, right? Am I right right or wrong on this one? That's the biological fact. Mm -hmm. And so do you find even scientists will argue against that? Or, or, or for the most part, are they all in agreement? That's true. That's a new human being biologically at the moment of fertilization. It, it, it's actually, if, if the scientists are honest in terms of their science, they'll admit that. Uh, we had one U.S. Senate hearing where then Senator Brownback asked the scientist who was in favor of embryonic stem cells, well, when did your life begin? 
Ooh, and great. <laughs> said, you know, at, at fertilization. So, you know, that is again, the scientific fact, but they're holding out this false hope that, well, if you just kind of have a trade-off, a little sacrifice of few human lives in exchange for the potential, and that's the word you keep hearing, potential, because it's not fact, of treating you know millions of lives with these embryonic stem cells isn't that a fair trade well of course it's not we should never sacrifice any right. human life and the fact is that we actually have an alternative that is life affirming and actually successful in regenerative medicine and that's adult stem cells all right well t tell us about adult stem cells and where do we get these from you bet. And, and let's, adult is, a, in a sense, a misnomer. You don't have to be 21 years old to own an adult stem cell. They're throughout the tissues and organs of your body from birth on. They're in the umbilical cord blood and the solid part of the cord that we cut off after the baby's born. They're, they're in bone marrow. In fact, your listeners are probably well familiar with bone marrow transplants. Those are adult stem cells. But we're finding out now that you can find these adult stem cells uh, in almost every tissue and organ of the body. And, and one of my favorite, because I figure I could get a, a twofer for it, is liposuction fat. You can remove that and find lots of adult stem cells in that fat tissue as well. So. Wow. Okay. Uh, now, having been down this journey in my own personal family with getting my daughter healed from Lyme disease and, and mold exposure and all this and I've, I've and you know you know exposure to um, industrial toxins how do we know or do, are you able to know if the stem cells are not contaminated with industrial toxins which may sound like a bizarre question <laughs> but after I've had about 25 different industrial toxin tests done on my daughter you know, and seeing these petrochemicals and all that. And then I've heard or I've read that in the umbilical cord, it's, you know, they're, they're detecting now over, what, 100 different chemicals in the umbilical cord. So is this something that's screened for? Yeah, it, it's probably not screened for uniformly. There's some labs that will screen and some that don't. But it does become a matter of you actually have to analyze once you've isolated the stem cells. Okay from whether it's umbilical cord blood, whether it's the liposuction fat, whether it's bone marrow, any tissue that you're going to get them from, you're going to have to actually test. Now, one of the advantages of adult stem cells is that you can be your own donor. In a little over half of the cases of adult stem cell transplants, and there are, at this point, approaching 2 million people around the world who've been treated with adult stem cells. So we're talking about wow. just a, an ethical success, but a practical success for adult stem cells as opposed to the life-destroying embryonic. Exactly. Okay, so let me swing over to that. What are some, well, we have about a minute and a half left, what are some of the profound healing examples uh, that maybe you've been exposed to with all your research with the patients? And, and being the geek scientist, Terry, I, I admit <laughs> that I usually go to the scientific literature, let's see it published, let me see all the evidence so right. I can evaluate it. So that's my perspective. But there have been some amazing stories 
of patients who were healed after, for example, stroke, even years after the stroke. Now, a lot of times someone will have a stroke and, and the brain will start to repair itself over months and so on, but people who were in a wheelchair who are getting out of that wheelchair after adult stem cell treatment, people with multiple sclerosis who have had all of the very you know, debilitating symptoms that can occur who basically have no symptoms anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, heart damage, we mentioned as an example, repairing heart after heart attack, for example. People who couldn't walk across a room because of their heart damage and who now are out running marathons again. Ah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> hey, we're going to come right back. We need to take a hard break right now, but we're going to uh, dig more into this adult stem cell and go back to the debate between embryonic and adult stem cell. But I'm really curious to get these answers. Like when we come back, if you need a heart repair, do you need to be using heart stem cells? So hang in there with me. We'll be right back. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older. Until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. All right, we're back with Dr. David Prentice and we're talking about stem cell therapy. This is breakthrough technology. Close to 2 million people have been healed of different conditions like um, stroke and heart attack. Uh, because of these adult stem cells and what they're doing in the body. So when we ended, we were talking about some of these, the, the great uh, you know, testimonials or the scientific research. I love the testimonials, but Dr. Prentice, he, he wants to read it in the, in the, uh, the hard, cold facts in a, in a research report. So, doctor, if someone has had a heart attack and then they get the stem cell therapy, does it matter what type of stem cells or can it be any type of adult stem cells from the placental or the umbilical cord or does it have to come from certain parts? It looks like right now you probably could use several different sources for the adult stem cells. And again, uh, adult is kind of an amorphous term. You, uh, You could be using umbilical cord blood stem cells. I still call those adult because they're from tissue, they're after you're born. People have used cord blood stem cells to treat heart damage. A lot of times they have used bone marrow adult stem cells, the same ones that we think about that have been used for years, literally, for different types of leukemias or different types of cancers or anemias. And there are some new advances there too we can talk about. but. Now they're using them for solid tissues like heart 
or even for brain or for liver. Uh, and then there are adult stem cells found within the heart itself. And there have been some clinical studies done that show that patients, yes, they can benefit by using adult stem cells from the heart. It's, it's amazing. It's, it really is. Uh, so, so I know, you know, a lot of people now, it's almost at epidemic levels, this fatty liver. Um, you know, and a lot of people would think, oh, that's from drinking too much alcohol. But why now, we now know that it's largely due to exposure to the mycotoxins from mold. And so has this been proven worthy for people with fatty liver? It, it's a matter of it's still under study, but there are some, some great hints now, even in the published literature and certainly with testimonials, that adult stem cells can work on that liver and repair the damage helps awesome. fatty parts grow new authentic liver cells functional liver cells not even just for fatty liver but for some other problems in terms of cirrhosis of the liver or some other things where the liver cells have started to break down you can actually regenerate a lot of liver and again adult stem cells will will facilitate that okay. yeah Terry, we don't really know in all the cases how adult stem cells work and, and, and being that, that scientist and curious about how things work, I'd like to know, but we know that it's working for mm -hmm. patients. It may be that the adult stem cells go in and form new tissue right there just directly from themselves, or they may go in and kind of like a general say to the cells in the tissue, okay, you need to start repairing. You're the ones that are going to have to build and grow new tissue. But however it works, it is working. And it's <laughs> for millions of people. Well, I'm picturing the scientists in the lab who, who, who see this. And it must be very exciting, you know, to see this working and healing. And it doesn't require chemicals and and, you know, all the things that end up ultimately breaking down the body. Let's swing over to um, what does this have to do with cloning? Because we hear a lot about cloning. And just the other day, I saw, I didn't get a chance to really read the article, but it was on the Drudge Report, and it was talking about now we have genetic engineering where babies have three parents? Yes. I mean, t talk to us about that, doctor. I mean, we're talking about mad science here. This is not right. It is really weird science, and, and you kind of wonder, you know, what what makes people go this route, and why do they dream up this? But yeah, you know, cloning. So cloning, as a term, let's let's be clear, cloning means making copies. Now you can make copies of of genes, of little pieces of DNA, and use those therapeutically. That's not really a problem if you're dealing, let's see, with treating me, an already born individual. You could make copies of cells. You could put one of my skin cells into a lab dish, and that cell grows and divides, and all of the copies of that one original cell are clones. But the real problem comes when we want to clone a whole person, a whole organism, and it involves uh, some technical manipulations in the lab where you usually will take a human egg and remove its chromosomes, and then transfer the chromosomes, transfer the nucleus, let's say from one of my skin cells, into that egg. What you've done is you've created a new embryo. 
Now, you didn't do it the old-fashioned way by combining that egg with the sperm. Instead, you used the egg's ability to foster development and growth and used all of the chromosomes from an already-born individual, myself, for example. But that clone is a genetic copy of me, a constructed copy made with a new sort of technical type of creation rather than fertilization. The problem and where the connection is that comes with stem cells is people have proposed doing this and creating lots and lots of little cloned human embryos and then killing them to get their stem cells. The idea supposedly is if you cloned me and then killed my clone, his cells would match me and we wouldn't have to worry about transplant rejection. But of course, you still had to create and destroy a young human being. Yeah, and get... if we take our eyes off of that, which our country has, obviously, for 40 plus years, you know, by having... Uh, decriminalized abortion. I mean, we've we've forgotten our way, you know, and then this whole right to life. So, and I, I think it's so important. And as as you do, I mean, professionally help. I mean, help our policymakers. Um, you know, re remember we're talking about human life that is in existence the moment of fertilization, whether it's small or not. You know, and I know, you know, it's a, such a slippery slope. And we've already experienced this with legalized abortion. We now know, and it's been known for years, that there's that secondary market of baby body parts. And right. so this is no different. And in fact, if those legislators, you know, legalize this and, and the research on embryos and all that, um, it's so much easier for them to go down the slippery slope because now we're talking about human life that's even smaller that you can't see, you know, to the naked eye. Whereas, you know, ba those videos that came out on Planned Parenthood with the baby body parts, you know, literally eyeballs in a dish, arms, legs, their hearts, you know, that, that little baby broken up into pieces. And there's that secondary market now. Uh, you know, it's just, it, it's such a slippery slope. Uh, and the dangers therein. And actually, let's talk about those dangers. Walk us down the slippery slope as if selling baby body parts isn't bad enough. What else could happen? Well, and, and, and it's that sort of mindset that, well, it's legal, so it must be ethical, which, of course, is not the fact. Right. Uh, you know, that just does not compute, if you will. But people keep holding out, those who want to do this research, who don't really care about the young human life, keep holding out, we're going to cure this disease, we're going to cure that disease. And, and as you mentioned at the start, none of us are untouched whether it's ourselves or a loved one or a friend who might have a disease or injury, then they come and say, well, if only you'd let us use uh, fetal tissue or embryonic stem cells, we could cure that disease. Well, you know, that's a, a hard and very emotional play to get you to allow something unethical. Yeah, David Daleiden, by, by taking those videos and going public with that and exposing the trafficking in baby body parts is a real cure on He's taken a great deal of heat about that. But, you know, people need to know, number one, that this unethical practice of trafficking in body parts is out there 
They also need to understand that despite all of the claims and all of the promises, that fetal tissue has not cured human beings either. You'll hear lots of claims out there, but your listeners need to understand that that's a dry well as well. But the slippery slope then is, well, why don't we go ahead and destroy these young human embryos for embryonic stem cells. Well, let's see. Let's start making them. Exactly. Like cloning. Or let's use those techniques to make, you mentioned the three parent babies. These are also constructed in the lab by the same kind of techniques used for cloning. But now instead of taking an adult's genome, an adult's chromosomes and transferring into that egg like a Uh, we describe for cloning. Instead, now we're trying to combine genetics from two different mothers and the father's genetics to get these three parent babies. Or maybe we're going to use some of these new genetic techniques to actually edit the babies. Your, Your listeners are probably familiar with the phrase designer babies. The idea that you could sort of pick and choose, well, I want this hair color and eye color and height and I want them to be a great athlete and so on. Now that's science fiction at this point, but that's also where this slippery slope leads. If we decide that human life can be bought and sold and the parts can be bought and sold. Yep, you monetize it. Yep. We're just going to make human life a commodity and we're going to manufacture people as a whim and of course they won't have the same value that we might put on someone who's already born. And so we we simply make human life itself a commodity. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and when you continue down that slippery slope, so when there's no respect for human life at fertilization, swing it the other way. How about the old person in a nursing home? And let's just say something's discovered you know, scientifically that, oh, if they just can remove it from that old person laying in a nursing home bed, who's never going to get out of that nursing home bed, but if we just take this or that out of their body, oh, look at all the lives we could save. Now, it's going to come at the cost of that old person laying in the nursing home bed, but hey, the person won't have to lay there for a year. You know, we can just go ahead and nip this in the bud and get, do you see what I'm saying? There'll be no respect for that old person in the nursing home. In anywhere along, and that's where we're also seeing, you know, not just young, new human life, but our older folks, our elders, who we should be respecting their wisdom instead are, well, they're not as useful anymore. So, yeah, maybe we should just uh, claim their organs and do transplants, or maybe we can use them for research parts. And, And, you know, if you start, again, the slippery slope, at the beginning of life, at the end of life, or anywhere in between. What about the individual with Down syndrome? Exactly. What about someone who's in an accident and is now in a coma? What about any of us who, depending on who is in power, if we're determined that we're not as worthy as other life, then we can be used. Well, I like asking the question, do you want your do you want you know to American citizens do you want the government to look at you as a creation or as just a you know a creature you know a creation made in the image of God 
you know, where every life is valuable, doesn't matter what that condition is, or are you just merely a creature? Well, we know, you know, we know what it looks like in other countries where the government has no respect for the individual. Right. You know, we've seen it. And, you know, in the, in the 20th century, what millions and millions and millions of people lost their lives because there was no respect for the individual. So not, not to swing over into all that in the politics of, of worldview, but, but at the end of the day, though, we are talking about worldview in this conversation. It's how do we view human life? Exactly. And, and you know, we've seen it in the past. We've seen it continue. And if the government is going to be the one to decide whether your life is worth living, we know how that goes already, both from uh, the previous century and whole countries who decided certain groups were not lives worth living. And we've seen it recently. We've seen it with these little babies, Alfie Evans and Charlie Gard, who the government decided that their lives weren't worth continuing, that they should just be killed or at least allowed to die. The, the prince and princess over there in England, they, they were having a baby. At the same time, baby Alfie was dying. And, and even the Pope got involved. He was saying, look, we'll send a helicopter. Let baby Alfie come over to Italy and we'll, we'll arrange for medical care. And I think it was offered in America as well. And the government in England said no. You know, shed some light on this, Dr. Prentice. And let's, let's frame this because in uh, England, in the UK, they have nationalized public health system unlike here, but what happens is then the state, the government, decides whether your life is worth living, whether certain medical conditions can be treated, whether certain medicines or surgeries can be used. And little Alfie Evans was a little boy. Uh, he didn't quite make it to two years old before the plug was pulled, so to speak, on Alfie. Uh, prior to that, another little baby, not even a year old, Charlie Gard, both had conditions that were, uh, it was iffy as to whether anything could be done for them. But the point was that there were different possibilities and there were hopes out there. And whether it was uh, in Italy or whether it was in the U.S., there were opportunities to take this little child and bring them to another country and attempt at least to help them live a more full life, a longer life. And, and let me interject here. And this was not on the dime of the UK. This exactly. was personally this was not going to be costing the UK government a cent. And they said, no, I want my listeners to wrap your head around this. This is what the government can do when, when we just sit back and allow them to take full con control. It's called statism, and it's almost like a dictatorship. They dictated the death of baby Alfie and baby Charlie. Now, let's contrast this to the royalty. She was having a baby at the same time baby Alfie was dying. That's right. And, and of course, that birth was celebrated uh high-tech uh, medical support for the birth and so on. You heard a lot about uh, the new baby, and, and every life should be celebrated. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, uh, little Charlie or little Alfie uh, at the same time as the, the royal baby was being born. 
uh, was his parents were told they could not remove him from the hospital. They could not take him elsewhere. The parents' rights were subsumed to the government's wishes. Mm-hmm. So we'll be right back. Well, the Out Loud Perspective awaits you in life, love, politics, a healthy lifestyle, your faith, personal development, and living an out loud life on AmericaOutloud.com. Glitcher News and Entertainment Network, where you can listen 24-7 on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. All right, we're back with Dr. David Prentice, and let's swing this over to the the government control. So we know, we just talked about the UK and how the government has complete and utter control. They can tell a parent or parents who love their baby, that their sick little baby, that, that they cannot even leave the country to go and try to save the life of their child, even though it's not going to cost the UK government anything at all. Now, doctor, I want to swing this back to the United States. We do not want the United States to, to morph into what the UK has morphed into, where the government dictates to us, you live and you die. You live and you die. Let, let's walk through this. Now, we've already experienced it, of course, with our Supreme Court making a horrible decision back in 1973 to legalize abortion through all nine months of pregnancy, even though we now know that as a human being from the moment of conception, that the science is not too difficult for our Supreme Court justices to comprehend. Um, let's let's talk about government control. What where's all this going, and and where can we be? And you know some of the things we can do. Yeah, exactly right, Terry. And and we do need to claw back, uh, if you will, uh, the right to life uh, back away from the government and out of their hands, back to the individual back to the parents, back to every human being and their life being worthwhile. I mean, there's, a, there's another good parallel here uh, between the UK and uh, at least some states in the US when it comes to stem cells. In the UK, if I'm a scientist, I can get a license from the government to create new human embryos for experiments. And that is, in fact, not just by fertilization, I can get a license to create new human embryos by cloning, to create three parent babies, to create even some, you know, we talk about weird science, animal-human hybrids called chimeras. I can get a license from the UK government to do that, to do the experiments as long as, get this, I promise to destroy those young human beings by the time they're two weeks old. They have to die in the experiment. Now, at least we've got a few bulwarks here in the U.S. Uh, You can't use taxpayer funding at the federal level to create or destroy human embryos. But that's still a little porous because our federal government now spends millions of dollars every year on the cells the embryonic stem cells, as well as on fetal tissue research. That needs to end. There are a number of states 
that have been very proactive and said, you know, we're not going to allow that. We value human life. Uh, there are, are a lot of states like Kansas and Louisiana and Missouri and, and a number of others that have said, you know, no, we value human life. We're going to protect human life. You can't create, destroy. You can't use federal or state taxpayer funds. You can't do these kinds of inhuman experiments within our states. But there are a lot of states where that's not the case, and the federal government where we still need to work. Let me give you a quick example. In fact, in California, a very liberal state, back when the embryonic stem cell debate was first coming up, uh, then-President Bush put some limits on use of federal funds, although there was allowing still some millions of dollars for embryonic stem cells, but it wasn't enough for California. They wanted the money to do cloning, to create and destroy embryos just like they allow in the UK. And so they passed a little ballot amendment that says we're going to spend $3 billion state taxpayer dollars. Wow. Not million, but billion. Good billion Lord. with a B over a course of 10 years. And it was specifically targeted to embryonic stem cells, human cloning, and other types of bizarre and life-destroying research. Now, they started to spend that money, and they built lots of nice, fancy labs and so on. But what had they promised to be able to get the voters of California to go along with it. They'd promised cures, and they'd promised all this money that would come in of people coming to be cured with embryonic stem cells and cloning. What well, happened? Did... <laughs> we know what happened in terms of the science. Yep. Embryonic stem cells are a failure. Right. They have saved no lives. Well, so we actually have looked at, so where's the money going now? Well, after a few years of failure, what we've seen is California is spending most of that money now on adult stem cells. How about that? Well, the look, can't your, your state, Kansas, under then-Governor Sam Brownback, who, by the way, referred me to you for this interview, uh, right. under then-Governor Sam Brownback, you, you secured the funding for this Kansas uh, stem Cell Research Center. Tell us what you're doing there, because you're you're one of the lead people there, right? You're the vice president and research. No, no, no. You're the chairman of the advisory of the Midwest Stem Cell Center. So what's going on there? And what are some of the looks like the promises that might be coming out of that center? Well, I, there's, they're actually treating patients, and they're starting to come up with even more potential therapies and run clinical trials, as well as educate people. I mean, this is a very unique. Mm -hmm. stem cell center. If you look at the dozens of so-called stem cell centers around the country, the Kansas Adult Stem Cell Center is unique and it, it originated back in 2013. We worked with legislators, we worked with Governor Brownback to put it through the legislature. It had overwhelming bipartisan support That's great. into law and started to treat patients, started to process cells, started to do more experiments, and, and to educate, to educate not just policymakers, but physicians and the public. Eventually, uh, we will be training physicians who might be referring people to the Adult Stem Cell Center. I mean, there are still, uh, throughout our country, at least half of doctors 
who still don't know the facts about adult stem cells and the successes in millions of people. So we've got a big job ahead of us, but we're trying to continue to grow it, to treat more people, to come up with more potential therapies as well, and to educate people about the successes of the real gold standard in stem cells, and that's adult stem cells. Well, tell us a few more of the success stories right out of Kansas. What have you all seen over the past couple years? So, so 2013, so you've been doing this for five years now. Well, they're, they're doing primarily the things that we'd mentioned before. They actually have a clinical trial here in Kansas on the stroke. It's kind of the next step after that initial trial. There are, uh, so they're treating people for stroke. They've been treating patients in trials with Uh, adult stem cells for various types of heart damage. Mm -hmm. They're doing a lot of the the usual things you might think of with adult stem cells, leukemia and cancer treatments, but they're also treating sickle cell anemia. Wow. Okay. Well, that's encouraging. Have they seen uh, fruit from that type of therapy? In fact, and again, you know, keep in mind, I'm I'm the geeky scientist. I'm looking for the (laughs) proof. Well, the, the published scientific studies with patients where they've been treated for sickle cell anemia with adult stem cells call it a cure it's a term i don't like to use because you know it has a certain connotation you're 100 percent and it never comes back but that's what the medical literature uses now when they talk about adult stem cells for sickle cell anemia an actual Dr. Prentice, if you were to look up on the website, the Midwest Stem Cell Therapy Center, and do you quote costs or fees for this type, or is everything literally a clinical trial? So you're choosing, you know, the few people that you're going to take in on a study, so there's no cost to the patient? How does this work? Right, and, and for the Midwest Stem Cell Therapy Center here in Kansas, they're kind of on the cutting edge, so it is a lot of trials at this point, but there are actual treatments available for leukemia and cancer patients and various kinds of anemia and so on uh, in the associated uh, hospitals and centers at the Kansas Medical Center and at medical centers, I might say, around the country. You don't just have to come to Kansas, although we, we love that. Mm-hmm. And we think we are on the cutting edge at moving this forward. But there are lots of places around the country. In fact, you can you know, check large medical centers and see what they're doing with uh, stem cell. And it will be adult stem cell treatment. And that, that's actually a point we should make that if patients start looking at this, don't just, don't just go on the web and type in stem cell therapy and, and start going to all of these places. You want to make sure they are doing, number one, adult stem cells, the ethical and successful stem cell, but also that they've got some sort of backup. They've actually done their research. They didn't just uh, open a corner store and decide I'm going to inject cells into somebody. There are lots of legitimate clinics out there, as well as major medical centers. There's actually a list called clinicaltrials.gov that we participate in that lists bona fide valid trials that patients get, can get into in terms of the cutting-edge things. But, you know, ask the tough questions. Ask if people actually have, whether it's a, an FDA approval 
or whether it's at least some sort of safety trial that's already been done, and, and make sure that they're using adult stem cells. And adult stem cells would include what comes out of the uh, umbilical cord, the blood, or the cord itself, and how about the amniotic sac? Is as long as that was taking the amniotic fluid uh, at term or near term pregnancy, where you're not, again, you're not destroying this young human life just to get some cells. Right. Exactly. Yes, the umbilical cord, blood, and the solid part of the cord. In fact, that's another trial that's going on and shows great potential is using the solid part of the cord, the adult stem cells, I still call them that, from the solid part of right. the cord to treat what's called graft versus host disease, where maybe you didn't have donor cells that will actually match well with the patient. Mm -hmm. You start to get a reaction of the transplant against the person you're giving the transplant to. It looks like adult stem cells, again, can manage that problem and be able to get the transplant awesome. to take. Oh, so you're saying like if somebody needs a kidney transplant, if they also were given the stem cells from the, uh, would that be the host? Yes. The giver? Yeah. Well, okay. from the donor. From the donor, yeah, the donor. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. So they not only get the kidney, but they're going to get the, the adult stem cells as well to help with that transplant, the acceptance of the transplant. That's awesome. Wow. It, it, and it's a great... Uh, <laughs> advantage because now your body says okay uh, yeah I think that kidney can be acceptable okay. because I've also got my immune system at least partly from that kidney donor okay. we've actually put together uh, with the Charlotte Lozier Institute uh, a, a website to talk about some of these adult stem cell successes it's called stem cell research facts dot org mm -hmm. okay and you can go on and look at patients tell their story. I mean, I, I can talk about the dry scientific facts on and on and on, just like any professor, but to hear the patients actually give their story, again, all supported with solid science, right. you're seeing lives saved and bodies beautiful. healed with adult stem cells. And you know, as a believer, this is just like God to be able to provide the healing our bodies need from our bodies. <laughs> and we don't have to kill. We don't have to kill embryos to provide healing. God's already doing it in these adult stem cells. To me, it's like full circle. So when I learned, you know, not too long ago that, that healing can come, you know, full circle from where what the womb provides, and I don't mean the embryo, but literally the the womb, <laughs> the placenta, the amniotic sac, the blood and the umbilical cord, the the umbilical cord itself, everything. But we don't have to kill the embryos. It's just so beautiful. Now I want to swing this over to action. People need to do something because if we sit still, uh, if we, if particularly you know believers, but let's face it, even if you're not a believer. Uh, your life is still at risk, you know, because you can be an atheist sitting over in the UK and um, you, you're as affected as baby Alfie and baby Charlie as anybody else. And so, so in the United States, 
what are the action items? Whether you're a believer or not, we all need to be defending human life. Because if we don't, we get pushed down that slippery slope by mad science. So what do we you're need so to right, do? You're so right, Terry. And, and that slippery slope is, is we're on the precipice. Here in the U.S., oh, yeah. we're on the precipice. Well, I think we're like partially down that slide. We have to be clawing our way back up. And this is what it takes, educating the, 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 I say we're partly down there because for 40 some years we've been slaughtering babies and now we sell their baby parts. So we're not up at the top of the slide, doctor. We're halfway down. But right. you know, just like you look at those little toddlers, sometimes they can stop themselves and they can turn around and they can climb back up to the top. So what do we need to do as American citizens who, if they've listened to this interview, they know more than 50% of the doctors out there. That's right. What do we That's need great to do? Great point. And, and, you know, and, and as you were mentioning before, this is really a, a gift. We are truly fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes. Know, not just in terms of our original development, but in terms of our body's innate abilities through adult stem cells to mm -hmm. actually repair that damage. But... Every life is at risk if we fall further down the slope, if people decide that the government can dictate this and they can actually say, these lives aren't worth living, let's give your and my taxpayer money to take lives, to actually just do experiments, to take more lives. What we really need and what I would challenge your listeners to do is to contact their federal and their state legislators. We mentioned the Kansas Adult Stem Cell Center. This was a state initiative. The feds weren't involved. But both at the federal and your state's level, contact your legislators and say, look, I believe that we need to protect life. And I also believe there's an ethical question here. We shouldn't be holding out false hope from embryonic stem cells and fetal tissue. We need to focus all of our resources and all of our attention on the ethical, life-affirming, and life-saving adult stem cells. And I want you to pass laws to prohibit the other, the unethical, embryonic and fetal research. Don't give my money to that. Give it to the ethical, life-saving adult stem cells. And that can be at the federal as well as the state level. But you need to speak up. Yes. We need to speak up for those who have no voice. We need to speak up and stop those who are on their way to the slaughter. And we need to change direction and get our whole focus on the life-affirming stem cells. Absolutely. And I like what you just said, and that actually comes from Proverbs 24, 10 through 12, because it says, hold back those heading toward the slaughter. And if you pretend, I'm paraphrasing here, if you pretend, you know, to act like you don't know what's going on, well, guess what, listeners? If you've listened to this interview today, you know more, according to Dr. Brennis, than about 50% of the doctors out there in America. They don't understand the difference between embryonic stem cells and adult stem cells. And if we do not act, if you don't get out there and call, write a letter, email, fax something into your legislators, the you know the, the the enemy never stops you know and so so i just encourage everybody to act make that phone call you've convinced me 
that I will be contacting my state delegate and my state senator, as well as on the federal level. Um, Dr. Prentice, um, to, if, direct our listeners and the, the last little piece here to uh, where would be the best place for them again, what website to go and just get a basic understanding. What, what do you want them to go look up? I think the best place, let me give you two, but the most important would be that one I mentioned before, stemcellresearchfacts.org. It has the patient videos telling their story, and it's just, it's heartwarming to see. But it also has a lot of basic facts and links and so on to learn more. And then the Charlotte Lozier Institute, it's L-O-Z-I-E-R institute.org has a lot of information, not just on the stem cell issue, but all life issues that we have been discussing uh, and a lot that we haven't discussed in terms of holding back that tide and clawing our way back to a life-affirming country. That's it. Thank you so much for being with us today. I've learned a lot and I know our listeners have as well. So thank you and we'll probably have you come back on, Dr. Prentice. Thank you, Terry. God bless.